0: So, now we're going to jump into the message. Uh, the message title today is Fear of the Faithful, Reverence for God, Proverbs 1.7. Now, if you notice, there's a coffee cup behind it, right? Because, you know, I need a cup of coffee and Jesus in my life, don't I? Amen. Right? Like, I need to sit there with Jesus at my coffee table and have a conversation with him. Because Jesus is my friend, isn't he? Hmm. I think those who have heard me preach, you know where I'm going with this. People think that, you know, or they, they, they talk about these things. Like, well, I'm brushing my teeth and I experienced Jesus. Understand, in the book of Leviticus, when God first consumed the first burnt offering, you know what happened? They fell on their faces in reverence and awe and fear. It made me think of a concept, you know, I don't like to use a lot of personal stories, but this is a funny one. Because when I was in boot camp, they used this thing called, they said, drop like a rock. So you drop, right, right? And you go into the cross sitting position and you like drop, like just boom. And it was always a hard floor when they told you to do it. So I think, man, if Jesus was in front of me, I would drop like a rock. And my face would probably hit the floor. I'd probably bust up my face. When doubting Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Understand the first century concept was that to put your faith in something was putting your absolute trust in. They acknowledged him as God, the king of kings, the alpha and the omega. He's everything. He's the creator of the universe. That is reverence. So, before we jump into the passage itself, we're going to do... um, a definition for reverence, a profound respect felt and shown to someone, especially God. The English term is used a number of times in the Bible versions to render several Hebrew and Greek terms. Reverence consists of fear, awe, and deference of in, uh, worshipful tribute paid to God or some other deity and s- these uh, things sacred. So when we have reverence and fear for God, it should be awe and respect. This is why I actually don't like the term reverend, because it means to revere. I Actually, I don't enjoy that term for pastors, and that's why I respect a lot of pastors who say, don't call me reverend, call me pastor. I actually appreciate that. So now we have a definition of reverence. So now let's jump into our passage. If you don't have a Bible, it's gonna, all the passages are going to be up there. Um, Try not to write everything down, but write down the um, the uh, chapters and verses. So in Proverbs, so the Word of God says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to receive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion a wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel notice will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma and the words of the wise and the riddles the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction And are we not in an age of fools? Because we have people that, once again, they look at, well, I want to have my cup of coffee with Jesus. I only imagine what it was like during the Exodus. When Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and you just see this cloud. And it's the presence of God. I wonder what Moses did when he was up there. Did he say, hey, buddy, how are you doing? No. He had an absolute fear for God. So, obviously, Solomon had an absolute fear of God. So first, we have the definition of the fear of the Lord. right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instructions. So what does it mean? What does the phrase mean, to fear of the Lord? What does it refer to? When we think of fear, we associate the word with terror. See, Webster's dictionary defines fear as a feeling of anxiety and agitation produced by the presence of nearness of danger, evil, pain, etc. Now, are there good types of fear? Yeah. 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 You know, if there's a bus coming and you fear for your life and you get out of the way, that's a good thing. God gave you that. You know, if there's something crazy happens, you know, an explosion, you tend to run the opposite way. That's called rational fear. And Then there's irrational fear. And there's rational responses and irrational responses. We're not going to get into all that yet. So. But it's very rational to have a fear of something that's going to kill you. So that's a good thing. So for many, this would, be, this would describe the feeling you get when you see a snake. Go to the doctor or a dentist when someone has white coat syndrome, if you ever heard of that. Uh, when you hear the drill of a dentist. Or when you find yourself in a time of extreme danger. It is dread of the unknown. And that is fear. It's like you have no idea what's about to happen. This is not the sensation of the writer of Proverbs is referring to. Our modern vernacular, the word fear in the context in which it is used by Solomon has been replaced with reverence, awe, and great respect. What the writer of this book is saying is that we are to have a deep reverence and respect for the Lord. So literally, we are to be awed and humbled by his presence. Too many people have forgotten what it is to have awe for God. They're more concerned about having coffee with Him, being His friend. No, He's our King. I love the term King Jesus. You know why? He's King. He is the righteous judge. Now, does he love? Absolutely. More than we can ever imagine. But we should have awe in his presence. So number two, a decision to fear the Lord. Respond to his holiness. By the way, most of the passage today we're going to be going through are in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3, 5 through 6. And he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. What did Moses do? Took his sandals off. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, what did he do? He hid his face... For he was afraid to look upon God. Do you understand also in the rest, rest of the Bible, people have come into the presence of angels and fell on their faces. And they said, no, get up. Cornelius and Peter, what do you do? He fell on his face. He said, get up. No, I'm just a man. This happens so often. And we need to get back to that. Moses was so afraid. He you're so afraid, wouldn't want to look like, wouldn't you want to peek? You want to know what God looks like? Wouldn't you want to peek? No, he was so afraid of that. He just kept his head down and hid his face. The fear of God is usually evoked a response of God's holiness. He's too holy. We can't look upon him. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 21, you should not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God is a great and awesome God, it is among you. The fear of God is related to his greatness. Now, for example, the biblical writers describe God and his name is holy and awesome, which the word here that is translated in the Hebrew comes from the word in Hebrew, which means to fear. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful? In praises, doing wonders. People fear God because of his mighty deeds. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 30 to 31. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord... And believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The Israelites responded to God's saving power and bringing them out of Egypt by fearing him. My favorite subject, obedience. Understand, one of the underlying things of the entire Bible is obedience. Notice, there's always a question of Obedience. Everywhere. Everywhere. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 12. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, this is Abraham and Isaac, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. See, the biblical text usually shows a parallel between the fear of God and obedience. See, God here, in in this passage, God recognizes Abraham's obedience to sacrifice Isaac in fear of him. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. The link between fearing God and obedience is all throughout Deuteronomy where fearing God and keeping his commandments are closely linked now let's understand fear for a second you guys ever fear your dad I don't know my father gave me a look like like he put the fear on me no joke I was like I'm going to die today it's going to happen right but it was not like a fear like i'm going to run from well i did run from him occasionally but it was never that kind of fear it was always that reverent fear that loving fear that i respected him and we should do so much more with god In deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 2 that you may fear the lord your god to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which i command you you are you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. In the Old Testament, the people demonstrated fear of God by obeying the law. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Hareb. When the Lord said to me, "Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children obedience to the law, teaches people to fear God." Leviticus chapter twenty-five, verse seventeen. By the way, I had to cut this down. There was a lot more Bible verses because once again, fear is throughout the entire. Old and New Testament. Therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. We see fearing God is also related to obedience in Leviticus, specifically regarding social relations. For example, Leviticus states that instead of doing wrong to others, we should be observant in fear. And now in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, it says, you shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So by cursing the deaf or causing the blind to stumble or not doing that, you're fearing God. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. See, Leviticus associates fear of God with honoring the elderly. Kind of the opposite of what we do now, right? Yeah. You know, respect your elders. Leviticus. They say nothing about bald people, but whatever. Some grace here. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 25, verse 36, take no ushering uh, or interest from him, but fear your God, that your brother may live with you. Not charging interest. Interesting. When you lo- Have you ever loaned someone money? Do you charge them interest? Liars. No. <laughs> the credit card companies are unbiblical. No. No. <laughs> Two loans on biblical, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna start, we're gonna start a group. <laughs> oh treating servants with kindness here in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 43. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. This is very interesting here because it talks about servants. And now, if you were, let's say, a manager or you own a business or something like that, you should not treat people with disrespect or rule over them. Understand, leadership in the Bible is servant leadership. You are to serve the people under you more than they serve you. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. That means that, just a little side note about leadership and things like that, you're to mold and, and be able to communicate in a way that person understands. You are to be the one that transforms, to be the leader that they need, not the opposite way around what the world says. So, in saying that, when you lead people biblically, you have to know the individuals. So, the second best book in leadership that I have ever read, you know, first is the Bible. The second is ready. Write this down. Ready? The five love languages. I have read many books on leadership, and that is the best because it teaches you how to communicate. It makes you realize that you have to communicate in a certain way to to other people. And that's how you motivate people, too, because if you're communicating in a certain way, you have to understand where they're coming from and what leadership style you approach to that person. So it always starts with communication. But yeah, you're supposed to not rule over people, but you're supposed to serve them more than they serve you. So, now we move on to loyalty and faithfulness. In Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the God's which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve whom? The Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Fear of God is also tied to loyalty and faithfulness to God. Now, for instance, after the people of Israel conquered the land of Canaan, Joshua charged them to faithfully fear God by serving him alone and putting away all the other gods and idols. Shouldn't we do that? All right, everyone, take out this like this. Does this distract you from God? This becomes an idol. I'm telling you right now, this becomes an idol. All the stuff, this becomes an idol. Social media becomes an uh, an idol. People become idols. You start serving them rather than serving God. spend more time on those things than you do with God. So we are not to serve any other gods, including ourselves. We are to serve the one true God, the creator of heavens and earth, before anything else. So number three, the dividends of fearing the Lord. So here it's the beginning of wisdom. Back to verse 7 in Proverbs chapter 1, the beginning of knowledge. We're going to cross-reference this with Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We're going to go through a stint in Proverbs right now. Fear the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. In order for us to have wisdom and knowledge, we must fear the Lord. There must be a reverence and awe. So would you listen to someone you don't respect? Like, honestly. No, you wouldn't. So, like, if you have someone, let's say, that starts telling you about your car, and that person knows nothing about cars, is not a mechanic, nothing, Right, but you got a trained mechanic that's been doing this for like 30 years, and you got this Schmo over here that's sitting there doing, hey, you know, I I watched a couple YouTube videos about your car. I think we should do this. It's you're not gonna respect that person's opinion, right? Now, the creator of heavens and earth, the creator of you and me, the one that sustains all things, if we respect him, he will give us knowledge and wisdom if we are in awe of him, if we fear him. And I've noticed that about a lot of people because they come up with their own theological perspectives that are unbiblical. For example, like last time I talked, we talked about deconstructionism. Because there's no fear and awe of God. You notice that, right? When you start disagreeing with the Bible, and coming up with your own perspectives, you lost fear and respect for God. That's the absolute truth, because if you believe this is the truth, that means this is God breathed. And once again, like I said before, this becomes irrelevant. So as we move on, so this motivates people to holiness. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. If you have fear for God, you aren't wise in your own eyes. You realize that you know nothing. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. It's scary, right? Think you know stuff. You guys get out of college, are like, oh, I know a few things. And then you get smashed by somebody, like, I don't know anything. And that's why he also says knowledge puffs up. It's true. People get a little knowledge. They think they know stuff. Well, do you know things? Read the book of Job. God ripped him for about four chapters. Ripped him in half. He says, where were you when I went the foundations of the earth? And he goes you know, on and on. And I'm like, whoa. I wouldn't want God to talk to me like that. That scares me. Now, Proverbs 16, 6. In mercy and truth, the atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Those who dwell in evil, do they fear God? Nope. So these verses, they tell us that the fear of the Lord promotes holy living. The person who truly reveres and respects the Lord as they should would not want to do anything that brings disgrace Dishonor or pain to the heart of the Lord. People who genuinely fear the Lord will run from evil. Not dwell, run from evil. The prospect of causing the Lord pain would be too much to bear. Do you ever think like that? Let's bring him to that like now. Let's say, and this is a problem in the church and everywhere else. You know the divorce rate is literally equal with the secular world in the church, right? It's all the same. I think it's like 52% right now. Might be more. I haven't checked in a while. So you got a 50-50 chance whether to stay married or not. It's good good odds, right? No, it's horrible. (laughs) If I was a bet, man, I wouldn't take that bet. Or let's say you're dwelling in some type of sin, your your sexual morality. That's any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman whom are not related. It's a pretty good definition, I think. Or you're breaking any of the commandments. You're lying, you're coveting. Turning away from God, doing things you're not supposed to do. Have you ever thought how God feels about those things? Why we want to bring sorrow to God's heart when he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins? Fear and reverence for God. The fear of God, it produces life. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of life to turn one away from the snares of death. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we are stronger spiritually than we could ever be. Now, the fear of the Lord is like a fountain that continually springs up with this spiritual endurance and strength. This gives us as Christians the ability to walk closer to God and avoid the temptations and the traps of the devil. Do you want to sin? That's the question. And here's the opposite. You could fear and revere and serve God or, or just stay sinning. Now, does this mean that we never sin? No. I'm talking about perpetually living in sin. It brings about great blessings. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life the person who chooses to walk in the fear of the Lord can be assured that the decision will bring a great blessing into his or her life there will be spiritual blessings beyond belief peace joy hope security promises of God and the presence of God there will be honor From the Lord. Now you get a New Testament verse. John chapter 10 verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have life. I'll have it more abundantly. There will be more of an abundant life. Now I'm not talking about your best life now. I'm not talking about God's going to give you a bunch of money. I'm not saying your life's going to get easy. But I can assure you this, if you live in fear and reverence to God and you're obedient to him, you will have joy. Be joyful in all things. That's what Paul says in the book of Philippians. We are to be joyful and content in all things. Imagine that, that you're not an emotional roller coaster doing this. Oh, oh, I'm mad today. I'm down here. I'm in the valley. Oh, I'm up on the mountain. I'm in the valley. I'm up in the mountain. That's a horrible way to live, isn't it? Just an emotional roller coaster. It's like, whew. it's like one day I'm good, next day I'm not. One day I'm good, next day I'm not. I'm kind of okay, but you want to be even keel all the time. It's a consistency thing. The fear of the Lord produces the greatest possible life any person can ever live. There is no better life on this earth than life lived with the Lord. Number four, fooling yourself. Back to Proverbs 1.7. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool in Proverbs is destructive, ultimately. And he's going to that destructive fate. The destruction comes from being part of his or her rebellious attitude. See, fools refuse instruction or discipline. So this is interesting. As, As believers, you'll notice who wants to be wise and who wants to be a fool. When you correct somebody, they don't like that. The fool does not like instruction. That's foolish. Fools refuse instruction and discipline. Instead, they recklessly get themselves into trouble. They are, they are also arrogant and untrustworthy. Very true. Proverbs, verse 26 and 11. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. This is Pastor Jay's, one of his favorite verses. <laughs> he says it all the time. <laughs> this fool prefers evil and rejects God. He or she rejects repentance, chooses instead to repeat their foolishness. A dog returns his own vomit. Fools tend to bring others down. To a level and should be avoided. Dude, would you trust a fool? Like for, for real? Would you trust a fool? Please, no. Nah, that guy's an idiot. Nope. Come over here. I'll pray for you. Scoffer, sluggard, lacks sense, simple child, stupid. That's what a, a fool is described in Proverbs. A scoffer lets their character, uh, by, you see their character by their attitude. Like a fool, a scoffer hates discipline. The arrogance of scoffers in Proverbs 21, verse 24 prevents them from finding wisdom. They cause strife and conflict and are scorned by God and then condemned in Proverbs 3, 33, and 34. Now the sluggard here, the slothful. So this, only, this appears only in Proverbs too. This is interesting, and it is uh, similar to be just being slothful and just being lazy. The terms describe this this lazy and idle person, And as contrasted in Proverbs chapter ten verse four with. The diligent, the hardworking person. So being lazy is a bad thing. You know those people that literally are in their pajamas all day? Would you trust them with anything? Like, be real. You know how they say appearance is everything? <laughs> There's some truth to that. I'm not saying it's everything, but yeah, no, I get we work from home now, we're in our pajamas more often. But the person that's lazy, do you trust them? Like, think about it. Think about your friends. The lazy person, the not lazy person. When someone's busy, people give them more work because you know a busy person is going to get it done. But it's less likely for that lazy person to get it done. A slugger is too lazy to work. Because of his laziness, a slugger is described as ultimately ending up with nothing. Proverbs 13, verse 4. His land is overgrown. He ends up in poverty. He finds... Any excuse to stay in bed. Like a fool, a scoffer, and a sluggard believes himself to be wise. Someone that lacks sense. In in Hebrew, the word literally means lacking heart. It implies a lack of intellect. Like the sluggard, the one who lacks sense is lazy and chases worthless pursuits instead of working. He makes unwise decisions. He enjoys folly. His lack of discernment gets him into trouble. While he commits sin like adultery in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, his motivations are not the same as the fool or the scoffer in Proverbs 3, 33-34. Rather, he falls victim to adulterous temptations because of gullibility and weakness. The simple here. This one described in Proverbs as someone, uh, a simple person is closely related to a person who lacks sense. He's gullible. He falls victim to temptation. We are to be as wise as serpents. And this is doves, yes, but wise as serpents. They get into trouble, not because of their recklessness, but because of their Ignorance. See, unlike fools, scoffers, and sluggers, the simple can learn, though, in Proverbs 1.4. And they respond to discipline. A child or a young man, the, the child is in Proverbs not necessarily a fool, but is described as something, sometimes acting foolishly. Now, stupid is pretty cut and dry, or brutish. Only occurs twice in Proverbs, like the fool, the scoffer, the stupid person hates discipline. Proverbs 12.1. He lacks wisdom, especially knowledge about God. So in the Psalms, the stupid person is paralleled with the fool. He is shown to lack understanding about works of God, including the fate of the wicked. So the question is, or well, one of the questions is going to be, do you fall into any one of these categories? But we're going to have questions, too, at the end. (laughs) So today, we have two, well, those questions, if you fall into any one of those categories. And I want you to do that on your own, not here. We have two questions, no Bible verses, because I think I gave you enough Bible verses today. You can use any one of those, and it'll be applicable here. So the first question is, will you revere God, or will you ridicule knowledge? Will you revere God or will you ridicule knowledge? The second question is, what kind of person will you be? The fool or the God-fearer? You have more than enough Bible verses. So I want you to break up into groups. Ahora, that means now in Spanish. (laughs) And then what we're going to do is we're going to go through those two questions and on your personal time, find out which one you are.